sometimes, you know, having these side conversations, talking about anything that happened in their life does actually end up circling back to something productive. And when it does, I find that to be more motivational than just telling them what to do. Yeah. Because then it's something they can relate to more. In this episode, I speak with Christopher Oyle of the Piano Universe, my friend and teacher and composer. We talk about a lot of things, actually. It's a, it's a very inspiring conversation on creativity, teaching composition, uh, new ways to think about improv and scales, and certain ways of interacting with students that balances a structured approach with um, some spontaneity and tangents in the lesson in order to keep the students' interest and make them feel important. I know you will enjoy this. Welcome to the Piano Sensei Way. I'm your host, Clinton Pratt, and I'm here to help you master the art of running a successful piano teaching studio. I'd like to welcome our guest, Christopher Oyl. I'm really happy to have him. We're good friends. And maybe we'll talk about our like how we met and our history and whatever. But first, Chris, just tell everybody um, where you live and what you do. Uh, yeah. And hi, thanks for having me, Clinton. And yeah, I live in Arizona, in um, Chandler, to be specific. And I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess you could, if you want to boil it boil it down to a few things i you know i teach i have my own studio um i teach uh mostly one-on-one lessons though i am trying to get more into group stuff and um a lot of my students are um you could say focused on composition improvisation playing songs by ear all of those things that are uh scary to a lot of teachers (laughs) yeah okay great i love how when i said what do you do? You said you do a lot of things um, because I'm the same way. Like, you know, that's just like a small talk thing. You go to a social event or something and somebody says, so what do you do? And people mean like, what's your job? And I guess they don't know what else to ask. But to me, you know, like I'm more than my job, um, mm-hmm. even though, of course, music is a part of me or whatever. But I always answer similarly. I'm like, well, I do a lot of things. I eat and I cook and I watch movies. And <laughs> I, I play piano and I teach piano and I own a business and I like to travel, and, you know. So anyway, I like how you said that. <laughs> no, piano teaching is the <laughs> only thing I ever do ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. How did we first meet? Facebook? I think so. Piano think Teacher so. Central group. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds that sounds about right. Sounds yeah, and then I forget how our friendship blossomed from there. I don't remember. I, I mean, you know, I think it's just two creative minds. <laughs> yeah, and then I hired you as my composition coach to help me compose for my students. So I had that cool composition project. And then Tony... Chris and I, then we're the ones that started the Creative Teaching Conference, woohoo! which everybody should come to. So fun. 
So yeah, we do all these kinds of things and improv and composition and talk about creative ways of teaching, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so then we did that summer of 2022. So it'll happen again, July, 2024. And then we also co-presented at MTNA in Reno on composition, composition crash course. Yeah, anyway, we go way back. So far back, we don't even remember how far back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start composing? Or even do you know when you did? Or was it just like a gradual thing? Um, Well, the first... I know I I started... Well, I started playing piano in like middle school at some point. And then I think I've always kind of dabbled a little bit. But I think the, the first real composition I can remember writing was um probably i want to say like eighth or ninth grade or something like that and um it definitely by no means was a masterpiece (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know i still i think i was i was at the time really proud of what i had written it was some it was some kind of etude like thing. Yeah, I think uh, that was by the time I had been playing for a while. It, it, it went something like. It just kind of had this pattern going on. I don't know if you can hear that. Does, but, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, I was like, I, I was basically just experimenting at the piano. I was like, hey, this sounds kind of cool. And uh, and then. Uh, there was not much more to the piece than that. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. Did you have a teacher that that was helping you, or that, was that just on your own? Well, my teacher, she she didn't necessarily help me with the composition uh, part of it, but she did give me a lot of theory help, background mm-hmm. Uh, I I did I remember that was a majority of my lessons was learning about theory and um how much of that theory did I use in my composing I am not 100% sure I think at that point it just you know theory was kind of like a second nature thing to me um, yeah yeah but well and I think it's interesting because I've had students who are kind of embarrassed that they compose something or shy and until they realize that like I'm into that too you know <laughs> and and so th- they'll they'll be doing their lesson or whatever or at the beginning or they'll be like dabbling a little bit and I'm like oh what's that and they're like oh well I was just kind of making it up and I wrote this thing and I'm like oh that's so great let's show me let's do it you know isn't that funny though because like the same thing happens to me too and the, for you and me who you know, I guess we're 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 even more known for teaching improvisation and composition. We still get students that are afraid to show it for some reason. I I don't know if that's culture that has been knocking into their head, or I don't know what it is. But uh, I I do find that a lot of times I have to draw the cre- I have to draw the comfortability with the creativity out of my students. Right. So, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, part of it might be like maybe they know it, it's fine to do that and you're going to help them, but they're just shy with, you know, it's something that they created and it's kind of personal, you know. I wonder I wonder if it has to do something with 
you know, this uh, this sort of, um, I don't know how to phrase it. It's like, you know, we grow up in a system that's like, respect your teacher, respect your elders. Mm -hmm. and, and so in a way, composers are like our teachers and our elders. And so um, students might be afraid to do anything that could potentially be different from them or, you know, uh, go off on their own. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about. Um, okay, so you yeah you started playing piano in middle school, which is kind of late compared to some people. Like I think I started when I was three or something. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and then and then you were composing. Okay, and then I forget. Did you um, study composition like officially in college? Was that your major or minor? Yeah, that's that's the funny thing, right? Uh, and I've got I've been asked this a lot of times, and no, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a firm no. Not that I have any issue. I don't have an issue with composition majors or the 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 you, academia. You know, I don't have any mm -hmm. issue with the programs or anything like that. It's just personally, I feel like it's not my cup of tea speaking of your as you're drinking a cup of tea <laughs> um it was not pun intended but the my experience with seeing composition courses and and maybe i have this wrong but this is just what you know from my observation i see that composition in academia is um i don't know how to say it. it's it's they they try to encourage their students to be you could say different right and um and you know try new things and all that kind of thing and i i i'm okay with writing music that is more you know um safe and commercial in nature and i think there are programs out there that are for commercial music but not where necessarily i wanted to go so anyways, no, I just, um, I took a, you know, a different route. I went, studied piano performance, music education, all those kinds of things, which to me was like the back entrance, uh, to it because really I wanted to compose things that were for piano solo or for music education related. And so I felt it for my situation, I felt it better to learn more about how to play piano or what students need and then i could you know write pieces based on those those concepts or those techniques and all of that um it felt more like the the correct path yeah so i guess it was just natural for you to teach composition or include that in your lessons when you started teaching right yeah because you know it's something I I don't know I don't know exactly I mean I've always uh attracted you know create I I was I was a little bit of a rebel rebel student rebel kid and you know not that my teachers didn't like me but I gave them a hard time sometimes and I always did think like you know when I was uh taking voice lessons my voice teacher would always 
reprimand me for you know trying for singing in different styles jazz and pop and all of that because he's like oh it's hurting your voice you should only use your voice healthily with classical music and i'm like eh meh it's fine (laughs) (laughs) um or you know same thing with uh you know piano like some of my piano teachers were like if you have any free time you should put all of your free time into the practicing you shouldn't be bothering with all these extra extracurricular activities meh (laughs) you know the and i I think you know because my 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 philosophy the way that my brain works is like everything all life experiences contribute to your creativity at the piano and so as long as you you know are able to make those connections um so i don't know i live your life you know (laughs) you know if i'm going to compose a piece and i want to write about a piece that's about going to the carnival how am i going to write a piece about going to the carnival if i've never been to the carnival Mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> how uh, and so the, were those extra things that i was doing extracurriculars were they really a waste of time right <laughs> so right yeah and even even composition aside like just playing music you have your interpretation and your life experience that goes into it right like i might be learning a slow movement of a Beethoven sonata or something and it makes me feel a certain way which reminds me of when I was in a certain place with certain people and then I have those emotions and then that helps me play it even a different way right like it's all everything is affected by everything so even if you're not composing a piece like it's uh-huh. music. music is still what's the word I don't know all, all encompassing yeah. universal yeah uh, <laughs> one of those were worldly one, the, one, one, one of those universal words. universal piano universe ah yes. oh, it's like i meant the, the it's like the name means something right <laughs> yeah actually i was thinking about that because you're piano universe and i'm piano sensei and it's like yours includes everything and mine's like the master or the god of everything and so between us two like we have we have everything (laughs) (laughs) we're everything we got the universe we got the sensei (laughs) hey well i've got the setting you've got the uh the the main character right right (laughs) do you want to connect with other teachers in person do you want to learn new teaching strategies and explore outside the box approaches join us at the creative teaching conference a radical retreat to recharge and reinvigorate your teaching. This unique conference was started by me and my two friends and colleagues, Christopher Oyle and Tony Parlapiano, back in the summer of 2022. All three of us had so many ideas we wanted to share, but instead of trying to get selected for an MTNA or NCKP conference, we created our own event. We each present a few workshops, but we also have guest presenters as well. Topics include improvisation, composition, student-led learning. You'll experience inspiring workshops on creative teaching strategies and creative performance ideas. Learn about different ways to structure lessons, such as online groups, memberships, and subscription models. 
We eat meals together and plan social time so you can connect with teachers from all over the country, forming new musical friendships that will last a lifetime. Mark your calendars for July 7 to 9, 2024 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Check out creativeteachingconference.com for more info. I don't even know what the main topic of this episode is going to be. Um, I just knew that it'd be interesting to talk to you. So originally I was thinking, hey, let's talk about composition. But I mean, you know, you've got well, this interesting is, philosophies and perspectives too. So, uh-huh. And this is how our conversations generally go too, you know. Um, this is this is the nature of creativity in general, isn't it? It's just the uh, the the it, you let the you let the mind wander where the mind wants to wander, and you happen to it's a messy process sometimes, and you you stumble onto um, interesting ideas just by means of like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? You know? <laughs> yeah, that that's interesting, and I wonder maybe you could talk about how that applies to your lessons you know like how much do you let it wander you know off of the lesson plan or do you even have a lesson plan or you know what i mean uh yes i do i do have a plan because i do have you know i have like systems in place and and a method that i try to follow in general but i i i didn't used to i used to be completely off the cuff and I used to teach completely with reactive teaching. You know, the student would come in and say, and I'd say, what do you want to do today? And we just pretty we pretty much did that. And I only changed because I wanted to have some kind of, especially for the parents that were, there were some parents that were looking for a little bit more of a structured approach. It gave them something to hang on to. But that being said, I still do, if my student comes in and is like super excited to do something that they worked on or creative, I will completely trash whatever plan I had in place and say, all right, let's work on what you want to work on. So um, you could say, I guess my my plan is more like a backup plan (laughs) in case they don't come with something. But um, yeah, and, and as far as like, when we're working on, I guess if you want to talk about composition in particular, when we're working on composition and we go off, uh, yes, we will go on tangents sometimes. Um, it is, I guess, a little tricky to balance, you know, how far do I let them go off on a tangent? Uh, I think I have this, you know, invisible counter in my head. Maybe it's like a minute or two of, all right, well, let's talk about your trip to the beach and see where this goes. <laughs> uh, what's that, Roblox? Okay, what's going on in Roblox? Because sometimes talking about all of these side conversations, you know, having these side conversations, talking about anything that happened in their life does actually end up circling back to something productive. And when it does, I find that to be more motivational than just telling them what to do. Yeah, because then it's something they can relate to more. Yeah, well, exactly, and I think they feel important, you know, mm-hmm. and which they are, you know. But sometimes it can maybe not seem that way if if you're just teaching sort of a strict, um, I don't know, curriculum or something. Not that that's bad, but if it's just like, oh, I'm going to my piano teacher, and they're gonna go through this thing and help me become better okay that's great but it's a different feeling if they think oh i'm going to my 
piano teacher and he really cares about me and is interested in me and wants me to do what I want to do. And, you know, it's, it helps them feel. feel I think better. it also helps that I'm just a, a little kid at heart. <laughs> it's, you know, I, uh, I don't want to grow up. Oh, I hope we don't get copyright strike because of that. <laughs> 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 I didn't finish this. I didn't finish the song. We should be okay. So, uh, what's the rule? It's like, you're allowed to have how many seconds of a song before something? Yeah, I don't know. Or is it a percentage? Yeah, uh, so I don't know. Well, that's. <laughs> Anyways, but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm the same way. I feel like a kid at heart. And actually, I think it helps adult students too. I don't know if you teach adult students, but, you know, because sometimes they get all, I don't know, just overanalyzing and just too serious. Like, come on. You know, yeah. I think it helps just to be like, no, let's just let's just have fun. Let's be more it, childlike. Yeah. And even just, you know, casual conversation in general, it's it's oddly, you know, looking at it from a textbook perspective, I think peop it would it would appear to be counterproductive. But but, you know, that casual conversation eases up the environment. It makes them more relaxed, more willing to receive you know instruction and so, and and uh uh whereas you know when you kind of just put up this cold barrier of teacher student relationship uh and nothing else it's um there's there might be some barriers on their end too as far as like well i'm not really willing to do that kind of thing um I know I'm more willing to do things with my friends than I am with my teachers. Like, <laughs> um, obviously, there's got to be some level of, you know, professional professional relationship there. But I don't know. It's a spectrum, right? So how ma how many of your students do some sort of composition in their lessons with you? Like, is it pretty much everybody, and or do you have some students that that's all you do? It is pretty much everybody. It, there is a couple of students still that it, generally speaking, more of the older students, like adult students that are a little more resistant to doing creative things. Um, just, I think because they tend to come to lessons, you know, with a mm, more of an attitude of like, well, I heard these songs, these pieces, and I want to play these pieces. So they know what they want, and they and it's not composition. I will still do some of that with them because, you know, after a few lessons, I'm able to convince them why it's important and those kinds of things. Um, but it's definitely not the focus with the adult students. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, yeah, I do have a few students where composition is, like, the only thing that we do. There's one student I had a couple of days ago who, who, he, you know, that's all he wants to do is is work on his composition, and he's he's very good at it too. And he he right now he's on a you could say a baroque kick. He loves to write things that are that sound, let's say late baroque, early classical, and and he's good at it too. And he's writing a suite right now. Hmm. He writes very well, but he's one of those students that doesn't. He, he can write a whole bunch of things, but he has no idea what to call it or or 
un- he doesn't quite understand why it works. So a lot of our lessons is just like, hey, do you know what this is? What, this is what you're doing. You're <laughs> this is a secondary dominant chord. Isn't that cool? You're doing something that like a lot of famous composers did. So a lot of it's like labeling and um, the one thing that I do find with with him in particular is that. Um, you know, he's, he seems to be a little more focused on just composing. And so I have to remind him like, Hey, we're, this is a piano piece too. We've got to be expressive when you're performing it. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it was interesting. It was an interesting lesson because we, we sort of dove into the fact that the interpretation is part of the composition. So, you know, in other words, you know, bringing it back to regular piano students, like like you said, basically, when we're performing regular pieces, life can still affect how you how you play that piece, right? And so, in my head, the the interpretation, how you play that, is like still, in a way, kind of like composing because you're changing the piece, you're changing parts of the piece. Yeah, and it's interesting that you were talking about analyzing his piece with him sort of after he composed it. Cause I think a lot of people think composers have to know theory. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to do start in this key and then I'm going to go to a secondary dominant and size this and modulate here. And I'm going to have an ABA form and all this stuff. Right. But really like the theory is the analyzing of what, what was done after the fact, like, right? Like we're trying to figure out, Oh, I wonder why that works. And that sounds so cool. Oh, because it was like an ABA or it went to this other key or that was a surprise because it was, you know, three slots over in the circle of fifths or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, what you said is uh, you said something that is something that I say a lot, which is basically like music theorists label what composers already have done. (laughs) So um, and so if you want to be a good good is a debatable term if you want to compose let's say in general no you don't need to know music theory you can make your own music theory this student can probably explain what they're doing just not in the way that a traditional music theorist might explain it Uh, this kid might call a secondary dominant a bananas chord (laughs) you know Um, and then only later be uh, you know hear from a music theorist that oh actually it's called a secondary dominant and so composers just make their own ways of understanding and remembering certain sound tropes or or you know what i mean yeah and i had this conversation with a student the other day we were doing the melodic minor scale and i asked him what do you think came first the scale or music you know, and he's like, well, I guess music. And I was like, yeah, because it's not like somebody made up a scale and then, oh, now we use that to write music, right? It's like we say, oh, this is a melodic minor scale. We raise on the way up and lower on the way back down because that tends to be what happens in music in a minor key, right? So we're just creating the scale out of what was already written. You know, it makes me wonder, I think, I always think back, I'm like, when was the first time someone sang two pitches and decided hey that sounds pretty good together (laughs) (laughs) Uh, scales is something i have been thinking a lot about speaking of um and it's actually something it's a term that personally 
at least in the current time of my teaching career life, I'm trying to get rid of that. Well, not get rid of, but I'm trying to, I, I, I don't know how to say this. Uh, I'm trying to give scale a little bit of a different definition um, because um, I think that the way that I want my students to understand scales is not the way that it, that is currently taught. I actually now am trying to more consistently call it key sets, as in like a set of keys. And mm -hmm. what I'll tell my students is something like, okay, I'd like you to play me a key set with two sharps. And so they'll, and uh, you know, I mean, the two most common sharps, mm -hmm. and, you know, by this point, um, they, they understand like, okay, when I say two sharps, I mean F sharp and C sharp. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, now I won't say D major. Now, right. if, if I wanted to say D major scale, what I would probably say instead is like, hey, play me a key set with two sharps and let's make the tonic D. Yeah. And so, right. I yeah. mean, that that is D major. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. And then later I might tell them, oh, that's D major, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I like this, the flexibility of, not having a tonic and um, just saying here's a you know uh, here's a set of keys you can play around with that sounds pretty good and this gets that because the, well, the one of the problems i've had with scales is that they just see that you know it's like they memorize like okay it goes this key to this key yeah and rather than seeing the whole you know the whole set of keys as like a palette uh, of, of keys to, to play around with but yes right exactly yeah, and that has to do with being comfortable at the piano and you know playing playing up and down the keyboard in two sharps, right? It doesn't have to be right. It can just be right. Right, being able to go up and down exactly in, in two sharps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very freeing, and then again, they can. Uh, they can either pick their own tonic or they can just choose to not have a tonic and just freely wander. And this encourages unique harmonies to happen to um, unique textures. You know, that it basically breaks them away from feeling stuck in, in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite ways to improvise or to have a student improvise is no sharps or flats but center around d mm -hmm. and it sounds really cool right and like okay well that's dorian mode but you don't have to go into all that just okay all white keys but sort of center around you, d my my catchphrase is uh you know i'll say something like you don't really need to remember this but this is called dorian <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Just just for fun, here's a fun fact of the day. This is called Dorian, uh, but that's not what you need to know right now. So, so that way, I feel like uh, you know my my traditional academic brain is like, okay, you did your job. You let them know, <laughs> right, right. But um, but it but it keeps their focus on what's more important, which is you know just being able to do it honestly. Mm -hmm. So then, here's a question. Since you want your students to be comfortable with key sets, mm -hmm. do you have them practice 
playing that landscape a certain way or like oh here most people like start on a d and go up two octaves and back but you know mm -hmm. go up and down further or how do you do that yeah i mean generally i approach all of these key sets through just improvisation so rather than teaching them a scale first uh i guess if you if if i were to say the first thing that i would do with them is is very loosey-goosey no rules just hey these are the two keys that uh, that need to be sharp and other than that all white keys just play you know and then if they need a little bit more guidance than that then i'll say something like okay pick a letter any letter from a to g uh, a okay so let's start on a and then go from a to a and play f sharp and c sharp all right good very nice now you can go below a you can go above a and so i just kind of guide them away from that a little bit but generally i find that it, you know they don't they don't need that extra step they can just dive in and mm -hmm. then now um that's kind of like a first step but then i have you know i have this method that i that i planned out it's not a book yet but uh, the, the there's a lot of concepts that in there that can be easily turned into improvisation or incorporated into this so like if i even with technique for example let's say we're working on rotation right um i'll i'll just start them off with a pattern i'll say all right hey let's play cgcg CG with the left hand and they and this is teaching that rotation motion from the um what's this called forearm <laughs> <laughs> I'm running on baby sleep right now. I just had a baby, so. <laughs> um, and then I'll say, okay, well, now let's move that up and down. The uh, Usually when I introduce a concept, I'll introduce it in C major. A lot of concepts in C, in, in, in the key set of zero sharps and flats. You know, mm -hmm. this, is, this is something, like, I'm still training my brain to stop saying yeah. skill. But, you know, I'll go up and down. Okay, new spot. Okay, new spot. Cool. Now let's try this in the key set of two sharps. And so start anywhere in the two sharp. Remember, these are the two sharps that we're having. Cool. And then we'll just kind of take every all these different concepts that we know and just try it in all the different keys sets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Interesting. It, to me, it's a it's a better way. It's a it's a more fun way, honestly, of learning you know, key signatures basically is just um, exploring those, like you said, landscapes the, rather than, all right, let's practice our D major scale. Okay, do, do you know your D major scale now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and then no, it doesn't matter how many times I practice that D major scale, second that I start reading a piece in the key of D major, it, that's, it has zero effect. <laughs> Mm -hmm. on my ability to remember that f sharp and c sharp are in that scale because at at a certain point just practicing the d major scale all by itself it's just a, a scale from d to d and back a scale is just another piece honestly and it can become just as motor memory as any other piece that you learn so you know when you just practice a scale are you really learning the key signature or are you just letting your fingers take the wheel and you know remembering mm -hmm. a feeling yeah i um judged a festival once festival 
don't know why I call it a festival. Um, a carnival. I judged a carnival. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> and it was interesting because the students were supposed to play two pieces and they had to also play scales. But it, well, it had to be the scale of the key of their piece. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. So they played, you know, etude and D minor. And then they, so they played D minor scale and they played the piece. I thought that was interesting. Like maybe that's helpful. It, somewhat, yes. But, you know, going with the same idea is, you know, wouldn't it be cool if one of the requirements was to improvise in that key signature, not just play a scale? To show, because that to me would show a true understanding of, mm-hmm. of y- you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know where I'm going, the true understanding yeah. of what, what that key signature is made of, essentially. I'm very interested in that. Because you know, I love doing improv and teaching improv. How would you, how would you know if they were improvising versus playing something? I, I practiced this. I practiced playing something in D minor. Uh well, you could if it, uh, as a as a judge, you could you know, or there could be you know whoever's organizing the carnival can <laughs> <laughs> can uh, can create a certain you know a couple of improvisation always works better when you have at least for students it always works better when you have preset rules or Mm -hmm. guidelines or boundaries right so as the judge you can or the coordinator for the competition you can probably create like a list of you know five or five to ten uh uh, what's it called guidelines to choose from and so that way the and then the the student might you know maybe you don't tell the teachers like what the guidelines are going to be so it's a surprise to them and yeah yeah that's a good idea i in the um achievement program for my studio which i'll have an episode on that or maybe it already happened i don't know because the timeline is ebbs and flows um one of the criteria is improv but right now i don't it's not really structured. It's just, hey, as long as you tried something, you get the points. But I would like to formulate something like you're saying, like, okay, two sharps, triple meter accompaniment in one hand and a melody in the other hand or something, right? Yeah. Or two mel- two independent lines or yeah, just, it, just it, a single melody. In my in my achievement system, it's it's uh, uh, the improv. that There is like an improv portion like that too and it's kind of similar what i was saying before which is like in order to get a point for for that you have to i mean you know how in more traditional systems it's it's like okay at level one you have to play your c major f major and g major scales Mm -hmm. at one octave that kind of thing right um in my achievement system it's you have to demonstrate one piano universe method concept in all of the known key sets with you know see so and actually the first right now the first the first key set that i'm um that i make a requirement for them to know is is actually the the whole tone scale scale (laughs) (laughs) the whole tone set set yeah which one there's only there's you know it's it's funny because it's like i both of them um yeah and yeah, so um, it's funny because, you know, I, I've i been playing for how many? I don't know, playing for probably 20-something years. And 
and all 20 all 20 years i've said scale and so only within the last like year or two like i started saying key set and so now it's just yeah. it's a it's a battle in my brain to 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 every time i think of that i uh, to change the terminology um but yeah so uh that's the first one that i do and you know i was talking i i think i i i really i was a little unsure of the idea at first but um you know the whole tone the whole tone uh sets they're they're pretty they're, they're simple they're very simple when and um on this on the keyboard they are right mm -hmm. on staff paper not so much but mm -hmm. that's that's okay because i'm not really a my approach isn't you could say really reading based and we mm -hmm. do get into reading eventually but it's not the the main thing you know so uh and also i remember i was talking to you know tony tony parlopiano and mm -hmm. i know that his he he does something very similar too with uh, he has a different name for it uh what's it called red track blue track and um and he, which is the same thing essentially he teaches one of the first things he teaches to his students is the the whole tone sets mm -hmm. and um and but his, i remember his reasoning is something more like um uh, you know i'm probably gonna explain it poorly here but i believe it has something to do it's like because major scales are made up of a portion of a whole tone scale and a portion of the other whole tone scale i think that's kind of Huh. what his reasoning was um and so uh but uh which is very similar to kind of what i had in mind too um but yeah anyways um there it, i guess my point here is there is a way to structure and level your teaching of improvisation <laughs> yeah long story short <laughs> yeah no that's good well definitely need to have you back hopefully you can be a repeat guest because i've already got other topics so the achievement system your method which th obviously those are related but that would be two two different topics maybe i don't know yeah they they are related but very different mm -hmm. one's about concepts and one's about goals oh okay good mm -hmm. yeah and then maybe even to talk more about composition and whatnot anyway yeah so we'll wrap it up um this has been a fun conversation so thanks for joining us chris and tell people where they can find you besides going to chandler arizona uh <laughs> you can go to oilpianouniverse.com that's oil with two l's o-i-l-l pianouniverse.com unfortunately piano universe is it, the dot com is taken by someone else or one day i'll take <laughs> it back <laughs> but uh yeah and on there you can you know find more information about lessons and coaching and compositions and lot i have some free resources on there too it's fun it's a good it's a good time all right well thanks for joining us and thanks for having me to everybody this has been another episode of the piano sensei way take care i'm recording already by the way i see <laughs> i 
I've got my tea. Ah, you know, I thought about making coffee, more coffee, I should say, for myself. I've already had my cup of coffee, but uh, I changed my mind. I just, we had a baby like two weeks ago, so. Yeah, I know. Congrats. Yeah. So coffee is essential. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, of course, I'm a, I'm a tea person and, you know. I know. Green tea, Japan, blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> this is green tea. It's a matcha latte that I made. And I love it because it ha- has little caffeine, so you get a little, you know, energy or whatever. But it also has sedative properties like L-theanine. So it's, Keeps like you calm. Very, it's very balanced. It's like calm and energy. And so it's, it's really good for me for like focus because it's like energy, but I'm not like... Yeah, I live for chaos, so... <laughs> Just kidding. I know. I thought we could talk about, well, really we can talk about anything and we could go on forever and this could be multiple, you know, episodes or whatever, but um, maybe composition. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? I mean, yeah, we could because, I mean, we obviously had many interactions, and, you know, so composition. Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll just start talking about it and actually since i'm recording now like that this might even just be in in the podcast uh, <laughs> because you know just these things about um well what you just said like what should we talk about how to how would teachers benefit blah 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 um i don't know we'll just roll with it okay i'm gonna take you out and then i'll do a little 10 second welcome okay. and then um then i'll bring you in and ask you to identify herself <laughs> i am the killer it was me <laughs> okay one sec <laughs>